The Dragon Reread is brought to you by the Armadillo Podcasting Club. Did you know that armadillos are depicted in ancient Egyptian and Mayan art? Scientists speculate that armadillos first traveled from Mesopotamia to the New World on rafts in 4000 BC. I did not know that. <laughs> For more armadillo facts and to unlock bonus content, check us out at patreon.com slash club. Wheel of Time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become podcasts. Hello there. Welcome to The Dragon Reread. We're rereading Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series of fantasy novels. I am Jeff Lake. I'm Alice Sullivan. And I'm Micah Sparkman. And today we're going to cover chapters 21 through 26 of The Fires of Heaven, book 5 of The Wheel of Time. Previously, NDA decided to join the circus to escape Elaine's alt-right bro. Uh, <laughs> Elaine also learned that being a circus performer is super easy when you have godlike magical powers. Uh, and they made a new Sean Chan friend while they were at it, so that's pretty cool. Um, the Black Aja now has had a run-in with Mogedian too, and she's like, nah, you work for me now, bitches, because that's what Mogedian does, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Morghese finally shakes off that uh, dick hypnotism and rallies her troops, all four of them. <laughs> and uh, Padden Fane gets his favorite knife back and workshops his metal album at the uh, open mic night, and it kills. <laughs> and, it, he, yeah. <clears throat> and it goes like this. And the land of back and down, where the lightning strikes the sky. A sea of fog breaks on the cliffs. If you go there, you will die. And that's it. Uh, Patreon.com slash Armadillo Podcasting Club. <laughs> look, I, I'm, I, I didn't write it. You know, it's Patton Fane's thing, and it's a work in progress, okay? So, anyway. <laughs> Rand is on Coolin's trail, and they pick up a bunch of refugees or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, yeah, so I move we call them the alt-right cloaks from now on. <laughs> the alt-right cloaks. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yep. Send your hate mail, too. <laughs> <laughs> so chapter 21, the gift of a blade, the icon of the rising sun of Kyrian. So Rand, Egwene, and Avienda are in the... So Rand, Egwene, and Avienda are watching the corpse disposal in Tyen, the town in Jangai Pass. Where Kulin killed everybody. Yep, they did a real murdery thing over there. Yeah, it's awful. And uh, Egwene and Avienda take the opportunity to talk about how stupid men are. Oh yeah. Of well, course. naturally. Yep. Right. And then uh, later, when Ran heads back to his tent, Avienda gives him a gift. She gives him Laman's sword. How did she get that in the first place? Yeah, this is crazy. Yeah. The sword sounds tacky as fuck, though. Well, well yeah. He, and he talks <laughs> and he thinks about how impractical it is. It's just like loaded down with precious jewels. And, and it's things. got like an ivory handle, so it's all slippery and stuff. I mean, it depends what your purpose is, right? If you're using it for chopping people up, it's bad. But if you're using it for proving to everybody how awesome a king you are, it's probably okay. Yeah. So, I guess so. in appreciation, he gives her the gift of his blade, <laughs> <laughs> which is his penis. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that's good. You've taken the subtext and made it text. Look, I, I don't know what our, what our listeners are you know, thinking. I want to make sure that they really are on the same page here. Well, he, yeah, he gives her all the gems and jewels and stuff. Because it turns out it's a, a Heronmark magic blade, just like the one he got from his dad, but, you know, broke. Yeah. Well, Crashed it into a <laughs> devil. Yeah, I was going to say, it didn't break exactly. He more melted it on, on Balsamon's face or whatever. Yeah. But this uh, is really cool. I actually kind of like this story, how all these Aiel got the blade after Laman was dead, and they thought they, they thought it would be cool to own it, but then they realized that you know they hate swords, and this represents a bunch of death and dishonor for the Aiel, so they sold it and got cheaper every time. Yeah, I think it's kind of cool that like this thing that is objectively made of these really valuable materials is like devalued by its tarnished history. Yeah, it's right. Cool. And so Rand is the first person to think of just taking the gems off and selling those? Well, uh, I think... Avienda mentions that it had occurred to Aiel, but they can't actually touch it because it's a sword. So they're okay, like, that's, "That's weird to me. They're not. It's not like they're not like a vampire touching a cross, right? They can touch a sword. They just don't like to use them." Man, you know, Aiel weird about honor. Probably not, right? They're, they're probably like, "Oh, I must never lay my hands on a sword." Yeah, if these are people who can't even bear hearing about how way back in the day their ancestors like weren't warriors to the point where they'll just sit down and die or gouge their eyes out, like <laughs> yeah, happened to the then they probably will continue to not touch swords. Well, clearly it worked, because here it is. Maybe this is like the wheels of the pattern or whatever, taverness. 
this, this is kind of like a minor thing, but uh, before that happens, uh, I think Rand takes a minute to go have a chat with his like his pocket forsaken, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's I think it was kind of interesting because he's like he's asking about these random ruins and shit they see they're seeing because like that's from his lifetime, right? Yeah, right. He's, he was around when those things were just you know things, right? Instead of like ancient ruins, and then we find out. Again, why this guy is a Forsaken? It's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't care either. <laughs> well, it's it, it's also that you know, it, when he lived there, it probably wasn't in a mountain, right? So mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about this. Like, if you picked a random building in Austin and, and like threw it in a mountain, and I like was asked to identify it, I probably wouldn't be able to tell what it was, right? I think I could. I mean, if it were I like the Frost Tower or something, yeah. you know, but like. You know, if it was just like a strip mall or something, I'd be like, I don't know, it's a fucking strip mall. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of those back then. I was so disappointed, though, because I thought it was so cool last time when he had described the ruins of the city that looked like it had, like, been a, a, a port city, but it was way on the top of the mountain. I got really excited that Asmodium was going to tell us about it, but no, he has no idea. Yeah, yeah he's, he's kind of the worst Forsaken, right? <laughs> I mean... He was the one who they captured in, in Lasso. I think Lanfear picked him for that reason, right? She's like, well, you know, he knows what he's doing, but he's not strong enough to actually be a problem. Yeah, and all the other ones are going out and, like, getting beautiful people to be down on bended knee and serve them and doing all these amazing things and running cities and having sex with queens. And then Asmodian was just hanging out in the desert as a glee human. Well, <laughs> it's kind of yeah. lame. He, he, t- he said that he wanted to become a Forsaken so he could be immortal so he could listen to all the music or something like that, right? <laughs> Didn't he say that was why he became a Forsaken in the first he, place? He did say that, yes. He's a composer. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's right. He wanted to experience music throughout the ages or something like that. Right. Which, you know, I mean, that's nice, I guess, but not necessarily a reason to become I mean, like, a I mean, genocidal... I, I buy that, right? I really like macarons. Right? And if I Wait, could macarons become... macarons or macaroons? I always get them confused. Macarons, not macaroons. Come on, man. Macaroons are the coconut ones, right? That's right. Okay, yeah, I'm on the same page with you. Yeah, macaroons <laughs> suck, macarons, yes, I'm Correct. on. So, if I had the opportunity to become immortal, to experience macarons through all time periods, I might take it, you know? That's pretty great. You don't, you don't think you'd eventually get bored with macarons, given, you know, 3,000 years? Mm, I'd like to try and find out. <laughs> this sounds like a Black Mirror episode where you're going to wake up 3,000 years from now and find out the, the essential ingredient for macaron is no longer, you know? <laughs> right, what yeah. is my life? We were mining it out of this hillside. Yeah. <laughs> we ran out of it. Or like no your mouth will break or something. Or you will have no longer have be able to have a sense of taste. <laughs> this, uh, no, okay. Yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't want this anymore. <laughs> I'd be like the the Methuselah living in a cave, or the, when the cave people stumble in, I'm like, eat this. Tell me, tell me what it tastes like. <laughs> you don't do that already. I mean, I don't live in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> so, I am really happy that Rand got a magic sword again. Yeah, yeah an unbreakable sword. Yeah, so, I mean, like the fire sword was nice and all, but I mean, it gets it gets a little. This is really classy, right? Yeah, unbreakable I, magic sword. It also saves them a lot of time in sword maintenance. That's true. I mean, like if I could get a knife that never broke and never needed sharpening, I'd probably use it a lot. You know? Yeah. So Rand has got it back, his magic sword, and Matt's got his magic spear. We just need Perrin to get a magic axe, but I think he's going to hold on to that stupid axe because his because Master Luhan made it or something. Oh, yeah. He's probably going to switch to the hammer. He's always like, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll use the hammer sometime. Mm, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I he think that's like. what he sounds like. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm tired of being really cool. <laughs> I'm gonna go back to the hammer thing. I'm gonna go slouch around and think about the symbolism about an axe versus a hammer again. <laughs> <laughs> the hammer is heavier, but the axe is heavier in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is what he said. Yeah. <laughs> I want to point out that uh, everything in the wasteland is hard as fuck. They they find the snake. <laughs> it's called oh, yeah, in, a in blood snake, <laughs> which sounds like a metal band, I guess, right? I think that's a real thing, though. That a snake a whose venom band? makes your blood turn to jelly. I pretty much assume that everything in the waste is also in Australia. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that. I I do not know of that particular snake, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I mean, there's like a lot of different kinds of snakes with a lot of different kinds of venom. Um, speaking of Rand's tent, where the snake was, mm-hmm. Avienda now has to sleep in the tent with him. Yeah. And right. it's really, really awkward because Rand and all the Emmonsfield people still have this huge hang-up about nudity, which the Aiel do not have. Yeah, and, and I guess uh, it's rubbing off on Avienda. She's probably uncomfortable because he's being so weird about it. Yeah. I imagine. Uh, you know? Whatever her 
issue is with Rand. You would think they would have gotten over it by now, having lived with the Aiel for so long, because it sounds like the Aiel are constantly naked. <laughs> it happens well, a lot. I mean, we. how long is it... I, I always have trouble with this. How long has it actually been since they teleported to the Waste? Is it... Well, months. Has it been months or just they, a few they weeks? waited, or they were going to wait a month. They didn't know. They like ended they, up having to rush it, right? Yeah, but they, they've traveled for days, maybe weeks at a time. I think it's been months. Okay. And it's still summer, I think. So it can't have been that long. Yeah. It's hard to tell in the waste, mm-hmm. I suppose. So we get some more Aiel info from Avienda, grudgingly. Uh-huh. And we find out that Aiel weddings are just a big old brawl. Yeah, no, it's, it's like being, what is it, being, um, what, is, what do they call it when you're going out of a gang? They're or getting jumped in. They're, they're jumping into the, <laughs> into the wedding. Into the family. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can go there, but we're going to beat the shit out of you first. <laughs> yeah, so they, it's like a normal wedding, but... Then the man has to fight a hundred people and make his way over to the woman who also fights him. Except he doesn't even, the man doesn't even know that he's going to get married until the woman puts the bridal wreath at his feet. That's true, like, yeah. Yeah, they definitely do not let him know ahead of time. That's mm-hmm. true. Well, that's, that's something we, we've heard before, I guess. It's like the ideal custom is that the woman asks the man and the woman decides whether or not there's going to be a wedding. But she doesn't even ask. She's just like, yo, I'm marrying you now. Well, I think he has the op- I think he has yeah. the option to reject the bridal wreath. I yeah, I, I assume he just kicks it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, thank you. But I mean, if he can have as many wives as want him, then like, why not? You know? <laughs> always, that's that's how Aiel polygamy works. Is every woman that wants to marry a guy just does? Yeah. And he's just like, oh, well, I guess I got seventy wives now. No, I got to go fight again. No, I think they can say no. I think it's like giving uh, in our culture, you the man gives a woman a ring, and she can like slap it to the ground and run away if she wants to. <laughs> <laughs> As often happens. I mean, that's right. Right. It's like a fifty-fifty chance, right? <laughs> that's what I think. Yeah, that's yeah. why it's a big risk. You offer the ring. Sometimes she takes it. Sometimes she slaps her hand and that's, runs away. That's why you pick the the place where you give him the ring very carefully because you don't want it to go into a gutter or something. Yeah. It's oh, expensive. Also, yeah. you want to minimize the number of exits just in case she runs away. Right? <laughs> True. That's why people get in, uh, propose like during halftime at football games so you got a whole bunch of people around right, they yeah. can keep or, them or on like, like cliff edges and stuff where uh-huh. it's really easy to corner somebody. <laughs> exactly. We also learned uh, another... Aiel custom, which I guess is what it means to teach someone to sing, which I'm going to be honest, I, ha- I had like way dirtier ideas of what that meant. Oh yeah, I because thought, saying, oh, I thought they were going to teach like, him to sing. I was like, like give me like... Castrate him. Castrate him or, or just yeah. like fuck him in the butt. I don't know. You know? <laughs> so I was like, oh, you know? <laughs> That's how you teach Does that to happen? Sing. Yeah, you know? Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're not expecting it, right? <laughs> but, so you thought they were telling him... As, as they walk down the street, unexpectedly fuck him in the butt, sister. <laughs> no, more like, you know, like you're, you're, you're doing the business, you're like getting like into the rhythm, and then all of a sudden there's like a finger there you didn't expect. I mean, like, and you might sing, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's just an unexpected finger is all I'm saying, you know? What it turns out it is, is sometimes Aiel men who are besotted with a maiden will have themselves taken guy shane. You, and the maiden just torture them. The equivalent them of giving up the spear, I suppose, but for a man. Sort of, yeah. But it's, it's not really because they're only Guy Shane for a year. And a Guy Shane is not like a full partner. They're like a slave. That's a great point. She even says no one would ever marry a Guy Shane. So that's not going to work out for you. Yeah, so it seems really stupid. Yeah. Also, do we know where Avienda's necklace came from? Because oh, Rand Egwene is asking her, right? her. Egwene gave it to her, yeah. Oh, but I she won't. That at all. She's being really coy about it because I think she wants to make him jealous, or maybe she's just like like messing with him. It, but. Yeah, it was like a. It became like a. They're, they're near sisters now, or first sisters, or second sisters, or one of those things where they have a close relationship mm-hmm. now. And Sister Misters, I think that's what it's called. <laughs> Mister Sisters. Okay, and then he has a, a sexy dream where Avienda, who's naked except for that necklace, is thrown over his shoulder by Min and Elaine. I wonder wow. what that dream means. Yeah, what could that mean? <laughs> I feel like every time we have a rant chapter, it ends with him like having a, a dream exactly like this. <laughs> I mean, he is a like, dude in his young 20s. Yeah, right. Touche. Yeah. I imagine I've probably had dreams like that. Mm-hmm. And Aviana gets naked next to his palate every night. So up until now, I was thinking that in this book, with the exception of those dark hounds, most of the people they've been fighting have been humans, right? Like we haven't seen... There was maybe a... Was there a Dratgar attack? Maybe... And Trollocs. Have there been Trollocs in this book? 
Oh, in this book? No, just Dark Hounds. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Up until this point, and we're pretty so far into the book at this point, we've had one Dark Hound attack, but otherwise it's just been human enemies. Yeah. And uh, maybe a Forsaken every now and then, but really just humans that they're fighting. So one thing about this book, as compared to the other ones, is he's spreading out the recap stuff that where he you know tells us the stuff that we already know. In the, in the earlier books, he kind of covered everything in the first hundred pages, and we complained about it. And in this, he sort of, as needed, recovers uh, information as it comes up. And I noticed that when the Trollocs attack, spoilers, in the next chapter, uh, because he says, Trollocs, they're like men, but taller, and they've got weird animal features, which we know, of course, but it, it's... I don't know if it's better the way he's doing it, because it, it takes me out of the narrative when all of a sudden he's explaining to me what a Myrdral is. I'm guess, okay with it. I guess I prefer it because the the hundred page recap that we dealt with previously was incredibly dull to me. If it's scattered and peppered throughout the the chapter or the, or the book the way it's done here, to me it feels more elegant and and maybe it's less distracting. I don't know. Yeah, I, my preference would be he just doesn't do it at all because of course I remember all the stuff from reading the book two months ago. Chapter twenty two: Bird calls by night. Icon of the Trollocs. Spoiler warning. <laughs> so. This does not immediately go where the icon would indicate it's going, because Matt is getting a sexy massage from Melindra, and he's thinking about his memories, which seems like it was just a really relaxing time. Yeah. He's and I, I guess time. they're naked? Yeah, I guess. So I, I, I believe previously we had questioned whether they were actually banging it out, but this is pretty much confirming that they're banging it out. Yeah, yeah, I think definitely so. Yeah. But it is interesting learning about Matt's memories, too. Yeah, this is great. He, he's kind of figured out the time span, which is from before the Trolloc Wars to uh, to just after, right? Yeah, exactly. No, nothing after Arthur Pendrag, Tanrael, and nothing before somebody else who was uh, 500 years before the Trolloc Wars. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so that's really cool. It makes you wonder how, why the Fox people chose these memories. Was that the time period in which people were going into that doorway that they could, like, take their memories? Oh, that's an interesting point. I assumed it was the, those were the past lives of Matt, because we know that that's well, a that theme a in these books. And, and we know that there is a beginning point to most of these heroes. Yeah, that makes sense, because they're mostly Minetherin, he thinks, which so, is where Matt's blood is from. Yeah, my thinking is that whatever this first memory is, that's the first incarnation of this person and he became such a hero that he got woven into the pattern for permanent like, which is seems to be how this works. Mm. And then from then on, though I don't know, I guess the the latest memory is simply that he hasn't been woven into the pattern since then, until now. Yeah, right. It's fascinating. I love hearing about Matt's memories. It's also interesting he wrote against Archer Hawkwing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't I like how many of his memories are him losing battles. Uh-huh. Well, he, I mean, he was a great general, it seems, but, you know, generals lose too. I don't think he was necessarily a great general in in his past lives, but he's done it so many times that he's kind of made all the mistakes, oh, right? I think that's the idea. Is he, these are all the the failures, all the mistakes, all the people losing battles, sometimes winning battles, but none of them are particularly special. It's just how much of it he's got. Mm-hmm. So he's just got like you know five hundred years of battle data uploaded into his brain, right? Yeah, and it is cool that he wrote against Arthur Hawkwing. Yeah. Arthur Hawkwing was a not necessarily a good guy, right? Yeah, right. Because he, I, I believe, I, I, and my memory may be shaky on this, I believe that we learned that he was doing okay and then he had essentially like somebody whispering in his ear that was a dark friend or or, or maybe it was Balsamon. It was an Aes Sedai, remember? That, that's why Bonwin was stilled, remember? Oh, yeah. Because she was manipulating Arthur Hawkwing in some way and that pissed him off and that's why he turned against them and led his armies against the White Tower. Gotcha. Okay. And and so that's uh, yeah. But we did, I think we did learn that there were that Balzaman was pulling some strings in that. Yeah, he was probably involved. Yeah, Balzaman says that, doesn't he? Yeah, he says He's, he lists some things like these are the times when I destabilized humanity, and one of them was Arthur Hawkwing, I think. That's right. Yeah. So we don't. I would love to know more about Arthur Hawkwing, but I guess nobody knows much except Matt. Like he knows that Arthur Hawkwing killed this one guy one time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So as Matt is laying there, getting what appears to be a very sexy massage from Melindra, <laughs> he is ruining the fact that being with Melindra prevents him from being able to get laid otherwise. Yeah, he got himself locked down. <laughs> it's a Sorry, dog. player. Man. 
But he, but he still makes sure, he continues to ask her, are you the daughter of the nine moons? Because that's who I'm supposed to marry. Look, he's got to make sure, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's all like, I, you know, I always assumed I'd get married someday, you know, settle down with a farm and never leave. And he talks about it like he's going to his grave. <laughs> it sounds like a death sentence. The way he does <laughs> yeah, it's funny. <clears throat> it's interesting, though. I wonder if she has some plans in mind for him because she's, she says he is effacing himself by making himself subservient to Randolph Thor. Right. So I wonder, but then she's kind of musing, like, well, maybe there is honor in being near the powerful. It seems um, like she's worm-tonguing him a little bit. That's exactly bit. what I wrote in my notes. I was like, this seems yeah. like some worm, worm-tongue shit. But the way she's talking about this and the way she's she's inserting herself it really does feel like she might be trying to break him off of rain which makes me super suspicious you know yeah. up until now i was thinking she was on the up and up and now i'm wondering if she's a dark friend or something yeah makes you wonder melendro hmm. keep an eye on her but before she can influence him any further trollocs attack and they charge out of the the tent naked and begin to fight the trollocs <laughs> Well, Which, Matt puts his pants on, at least. He does, yeah. Matt, is, he's got that Two Rivers modesty. <laughs> but Melinda's like, nah, let's get this shit going. Time yeah, he's, he's her, her fighting attire, veil, and spears. Yeah, that's right. Grabs, <laughs> a, grabs a shield, grabs a spear, and ready to go. Yeah, you know, it's it's so funny, because five books ago, would you have thought this was would be Matt, right? The guy who charges out into the battle and becomes, like, the ace spear fighter and... 1v1's a mirror draw. No, that's, that's, this is amazing. I love this. Yeah. Although I'm glad that he was like loose, massaged, you know, his muscles weren't tight. Yeah, he was he very was, limber. Yeah, ready to go. I think that helped. I gotta be honest, I kind of miss the Trollocs, you know? Um, I know that we've seen a lot of them and, you know, for a little bit they were getting a little oatmeal maybe a little boring, but mm. honestly, like, I, I like the, I like what they bring to the party, you know? It's, <laughs> it's a fun fight scene where... Other fight scenes might be a little yeah. bland. It's weird, though, because it's not just Trollocs. Men are fighting alongside the Trollocs, saying, Samael and the Golden Bees. Yeah. Golden Bees is what the, is, <laughs> So that's the name they picked for their, their battle company. <laughs> that is the, that's the, the Golden Bees. That's the, the army of Ilion. Is, is the Golden Bees. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't think that has been established in the books yet, so it's an odd thing for them to say. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I was just like, if you're picking a name for your, your mercenary company, Golden Bees is not the most imposing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm We're the Golden Bees. bees. We're going to sting you, and it's going to be, it's not, it's not dangerous, but it's really uncomfortable. I mean, what are you more likely to run from? The... The mean dogs. I don't know. What's another battle standard? Uh, the, you know, the dirty birds. I don't know. <laughs> dirty birds. Uh, yeah, bees are scary, right? But bees are not that scary, no. But what if there's a lot of them? Mm. Okay, if it's a whole swarm of bees, yeah. We're the golden swarm of bees. Why golden, though? I mean, because, I is mean, that better? I mean, maybe bees? everybody made fun of them for just being the bees. What about that? And they're like, we got to make it cooler. <laughs> Okay, but they could have been like the shadow bees or the bees of darkness or the fire bees. Like any of those are more imposing than the golden bees. I would sign up for the golden bees. Of course you would, Jeff. (laughs) When it comes to like sports teams, I always think sports teams that are like the badasses, right? The the Panthers or the the mean guys. I think those teams are dumb. But like the Dolphins, that's a pretty cool team name. Okay, but Dolphins are really smart. Uh, Hmm. They're probably smarter than people. And also, their echolocation sounds can cause humans to burst into flames. <laughs> <laughs> but you never know that, because whenever you encounter a dolphin, you're in the water. Exactly, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like a microwave. They cause yourselves to vibrate until you burst into flames, except you're in the water, so they immediately go out. For more dolphin facts, check out <laughs> patreon.com slash armadillo podcasting club. Dolphin podcasting club. <laughs> That's our next thing we're going to do. Right. But it's just going to be us going. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's often for, hey, what's up? Mm-hmm. But anyway, so Matt is fighting these things and also just like randomly yelling, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't want to be part of this. This is bullshit. Like in the old tongue. <laughs> yeah. oh. At least he's got his pants on this time. <laughs> it's true. Uh, yeah, but and he, he does take out a mirror draw all by himself, which is another nice power to get from his memory. Injection. A mirror draw that just killed two Aiel. That's yeah, true. Right? Yeah. So yeah. he's just a super badass now. It's all these fighting memories. Luckily, he has some memories that work with his odd spear that he found. Mm-hmm. Uh, super cool. Uh, and I like how he. One of the things he shouts is, "I'm no bloody hero." <laughs> 
come on, dude. <laughs> As <laughs> like, he's murdering like, a Leaping out of your, your tent naked and fighting your way through a battle and killing the enemy commander is like the definition of hero stuff. <laughs> That's true. It doesn't get any more hero-y than that. Uh, but then Matt is confused by this pointless-seeming attack. Because it's the strategy brain going like, this yep. doesn't make sense from a strategic perspective. <laughs> yeah. So, cut to Rand and Avienda, who save each other from drug cars. Uh, Rand uses, like, a finger gun, I think. He's, like, points his finger at it and the beam shoots <laughs> out. he does. Yeah, he's getting a little cocky with yeah. the fire. <laughs> finger guns a Drakkar. <laughs> and then, of course, Avienda goes for the classic wizard spell, Fireball. Right, Fireball, right? Yeah. It's very straightforward. Yeah. Works every time. But I, it's funny, because when this first happened, I was like, oh, shit, is there a Forsaken here? Because I completely forgot that she can do magic. Oh, yeah. She never does that. Yeah, I guess she has been training. We just haven't been seeing her training. Yeah, as a it's part of her wise woman training, right? Magic, yeah. So when the fight's all over, everybody figures it was weird that they were all shouting Samael. But Rand, using his loose Theron brain, seems to think it was Samael because this is something Samael has done before. Yeah, that was interesting. I think it's, it also comes up in conversation with Asmodian or something yeah, like Asmodian that. Yeah, Asmodian says, that's too obvious. Somebody else is playing you. Yeah. But Rand says something like, oh, well, he attacked me in this way, in this place that no one's heard of for 3,000 years. And Asmodian's like, yeah, <laughs> right, uh-huh, that's, that's, that's good, uh, <clears throat> Rand. <laughs> Certainly not loose Theron. So I wonder who it really was that sent these guys. I mean, I, I buy Semiel if he's, if he's doing it as like either a, a test or a... No, like a scouting kind of thing. I mean, oh yeah, because it it uh, there wasn't there weren't nearly enough to cause any damage to the Aiel camp. Yeah, and maybe it was a distraction for the drug car, but they tried that before. It didn't yeah. work. Mm-hmm. I do think it's interesting that Asmodian has like strong feelings about the drug car. Like it seems like he's actually a little afraid of them, and he he says something like, oh, "I wish we had never made those things." Yeah, they're, right. You know, so even the Forsaken the think they're they're creepy. Yeah. I'm appreciating Asmodian's character. I think he is really interesting, and I'm really glad that Robert Jordan created him and made him part of the mm-hmm. uh, integral part of the story. I think I completely agree because up until that point, there was a lot of just there was a lot of mystery that simply did not have a way to answer it until we had this this narrow but this small stream of ancient information. Yeah, he's providing important information, and I also like that we have a Forsaken that. Um, has a, it seems like the more we get to know him, the more dimensions there are to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the other Forsaken are sort of mustache twirlingly evil. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like we even have his reason. He didn't just become evil because evil. Like apparently, he just wanted to hear music. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's like, I know the Beatles are going to be born in another five thousand years, and I've got to stick around for that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could be a reincarnation of one of the Beatles. No, no, Michael, he's Michael Jackson. We already talked. Oh, that's that. right. I forgot. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And Michael mistake. Jackson, his lifetime overlapped with the lifetime of all the Beatles, so yeah. we know he's not one of them. Sorry. Yeah, they can't, they can't exist at the same time. <laughs> Bummer. Uh, and if you re- rearrange the letters in Asmodian's name, it spells Michael Jackson. That's right. Yeah. I think it spells I am Michael Jackson. <laughs> right. <laughs> I am Lord Michael Jackson. <laughs> uh, listen to our other podcast, <laughs> Muggles with Attitude. <laughs> Uh, Moraine is still acting pretty weird. There's a brief conversation in which she's acting awfully, you know, yeah. funny about everything. Like she's going to die tomorrow. Yeah, she's very morose. <laughs> but she's still doing her job. I want to point something out. We learned something else about Samael. We learned why he became a Forsaken. It's because he wanted to be taller. Oh, that's right. They point out that it he's always, always wanted to be taller. And he, found, and he figured out he couldn't do it with the one power, apparently. <laughs> so he became a Forsaken. I hated not being tall. Wow. He's a little, he's a little touchy about I his mean, height. No, I feel that. I feel that, right? Being tall is a big advantage in life. I know, it's great. To I the mean, point where you would pledge yourself to the Dark Lord? I mean, how many inches of height are we talking about? <laughs> I mean... A hundred inches? Sure, yeah. Well, you don't want to be too tall. Then you don't fit through doorways. I'll make new doorways with my dark powers. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> I'll, I'll go through the shadows or something. <laughs> well, also, didn't we decide that everybody is like six inches tall? No, that's true. Yeah. Oh, that's In point. this time period, everybody's six inches tall. They yeah. all shrunk. So that's he, Samael could be uh, like Tom that's, Thumb. So it, it totally could have worked, right? Because like he didn't get taller, but everybody else got shorter. So now he's really tall. Right? Oh, that makes perfect sense. So the dark one wins in the end. 
Uh, and then I guess the maidens are upset because they let the drop car through, so they go ask for punishment. Yeah. Well, they did screw up. Did they know? Yeah. This is literally their job is to stand there and prevent anything like this from happening. I guess so. I, I feel like they were trying to prevent this from happening by going and stopping the soldiers, right? Oh, but there's other people to do that. Yeah, that's true. There are a whole bunch of Aiel here. I mean, this this is exactly why this they have honor guards is because people try and assassinate the leader. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you think that they should should be punished? Mm, I, I mean, think it was bad job on their part. Yeah. They failed. Yeah, right. I don't know about punishing, but definitely make their uh, operating what do you call them? Their standing orders more clear. Yeah, that's fair. But Rand won't punish them because he just can't punish a lady or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, he still got this stupid like. He won't even send him in a battle. That's the thing. Yeah, I think, I think that's Aaron actually, would. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's actually why they ran away, right? Because they were afraid he wouldn't let them go fight. Oh, right. I believe that they, they say something like that. Oh, they ran off before I could tell them not to go fight. Yeah. Because he doesn't respect them. Yep. He's the Mike Pence of the Karakarn. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but instead he refers them to the wise ones and they don't seem real happy about that. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. He's like, if you want punishment, go talk to the wise ones. They're like, oh, that's not what we wanted. Uh, Can't we just run some laps or something? And we learn why. Chapter 23. The fifth I give you. Icon of the dragon. So, Rand and the Aiel come out of Jengai Pass on the other side in Kyrian. And uh, we're seeing things from Egwene's perspective. Uh, I really like this description of the Aiel horde on the move. Uh, you know, they're bigger than the even the 50-foot-wide stone... Road, and all the the countryside has been desolated around them. The farms have all been burned by Kuladin and everything. Yeah, I I always forget how many of them there are. But I mean, if all of the Aiel nations are are at, on the march, essentially, then yeah, it's thousands, yeah, tens of thousands, tens right? of thousands. Yeah. This is a huge army, right? Probably enough to. It's nearly an entire country because most of the Aiel are warriors, right? Yeah, it, it might be enough to win a fight with all the other nations of the world, or at least of this part of the world. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, Kuladin is slaughtering everybody, which seems bad. Yeah, he's fighting pretty nasty. He's impaling people, he's burning farms. Like, I, What's his goal here? That's kind of what I was wondering. I, I know that the fear is that he's going to delegitimize or turn people against... The Dragon Reborn, because he's claiming to be the Dragon Reborn. He's everyone's saying, I'm the Dragon Reborn, and killing people, right? Mm-hmm. But that can't be his objective. That's just the fear that of what he's going to do, right? Well, maybe it's something he's doing to keep the other people behind him. Because Rand's Aiel want to do the same thing. Oh, they they talk about how that's just what tree killers deserve. Because mm-hmm. they've got this real collective guilt thing going on. It's possible he's really just trying to conquer the world. And this is his idea of doing it? Well, I mean, he's taking a bunch of slaves, right? He, he doesn't have any respect for any people besides the Aiel. So he's killing, burning, and taking the, the survivors as slaves to be the Aiel's mm-hmm. people, I guess, you know? Yeah, I guess this is what would happen with the, the steppe peoples in real-world history. Uh, assuming this isn't real-world history, of course. That periodically every hundred years or so, they would get somebody would gain enough power among them that he could lead a huge chunk of the, the steppe people, and then he would just lead them out and just crush all the armies before him, which, wherever he wanted to go. Yeah. And of course he would lead them out because it really sucks to live on the steppe, so he, they want to go live in the soft lands. That doesn't... They've never stated that as the motivation, though. Let's go live in the wetlands. Or is he just trying to ensure that Rand keeps following him so he can ev- eventually fight him somewhere? Oh, that's possible. Yeah, maybe that's maybe it. Maybe he's just baiting Rand. Although if that were the goal, he would just stop, right? They could have fought him at Jengai Pass, which would have been a good place to wait. In fact, it would have, yeah, it would have been a great place to win, probably, because I think I think uh, either Lan or Matt, somebody mentions that there are places in Jengai Pass that are narrow enough that you could hold, with 100 people, you could haul off the entire Aiel army. Yeah. So is Kuladin trying to do a, a first thing, then? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't exactly know what his motivation is, except he's really angry. But because Rand's Aiel want to do the same thing, Rand lays down the law. Mm-hmm. No massacring Kyrianans. Yeah, he's not making any friends with that, but it kind of makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. This For his is, purposes. That's not what he's here to do. But he does give them their fifth. They get to take a fifth of everything except food. Yep, no food. Which is fair. I mean, that's what, that's always been their thing, right? Is taking their fifth. I mean, that's a lot. Especially if they're coming to, you know, save Kyrian. Well, the Kyrian probably don't have that much right now. Yeah, but like... 
I don't know, the Aiel are, are sworn by the oaths of all time or whatever to obey Rand. Does he need to give them this stuff? Well, he he didn't he needs them to fight for him. Without them, he doesn't have an army, right? Well, are they going to leave? You know, because uh, they're not in this for loot and plunder, right? I suppose not. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so that's the idea. No slaughtering Kyrian, no taking slaves, no stealing food. So it's pretty solid rules if you're going to conquer a place. Yeah, and and I guess it could be a lot worse for the Aiel, right? They don't go into rape. Which is a thing that happens when a place is sacked and pillaged mm-hmm. and uh, in history basically every time. Yeah. Right? Mass rapes. It's just a thing that happens. So they don't talk about whether Kuladin is doing it. Rand does not make it a rule. It does not see the need to make it a rule because certainly Rand would not be on board with that. It's sort of just a world where that doesn't happen. Yeah, I noticed, I noticed that it's never mentioned other places. There are, there are lots of horrible things that happen people being skinned alive and eaten mm-hmm. and so on. But that's one thing that never happens in these books, which I guess is nice. I don't know. I mean, I'm I don't okay know. with that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do find out what punishment the maidens ended up with. Yeah, they have to carry a doll around. Yeah. I, I feel like the wise one's punishment seems to lean really heavily towards infantilization. Uh, yeah, it's all about tearing down your ego and, and humiliating you. Not even infantilization, just saying you're a girl. A little girl. A like little a child. girl. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they do that the same to Egwene, right? To punish her, they make her wear like a little dress and have little pigtails or whatever. Yeah, the dress actually sounded kind of comfortable wow. compared to the bulky dresses they normally I, wear. I don't think she had a problem with it at first until she realized what it meant. Mm-hmm. She was like, oh, this is not bad. Oh, wait. Yeah, and I, I, find that, I find that crappy of them, you know, that their punishments are about, about humiliation and degrading the people, you know. Uh, Egwene and Avienda have a little chat and an encounter with Sorali, who is the the most hardest badass wise one of all time. Mm-hmm. This is interesting. I, I actually kind of like this character because she's not one of the magic ones. She's not one of the dreamwalkers, but she's just this badass woman who's like, she just expects to be listened to and people listen to her. <laughs> yeah. It, it, they talk about her gaze is so incredibly intimidating that you can feel it when it hits you. And uh, they, it, she looks at another group of people and Egwene is like, wow, I'm surprised they weren't knocked down by her gaze. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit cartoonish. Yeah. But I, I guess even the wise ones have a, a even more bullying wise one. Mm-hmm. It's just a chain of bullying all the way down. Mm-hmm. I guess she's the, the top of the food chain. Egwene tries to get Avienda to talk about the problems she has with Rand, but Avienda won't do it. Yeah. Because these people are bad at emotions. And she's still being kind of crappy about the sword situation, too. Right, yeah. She feels like she got a bad deal. Because she got all the gems and stuff. Yeah, it's... I mean, I know I've said this a million times before, and I'll probably say it again, but this whole interaction is very frustrating to me because it's just... It's so obvious that there's something going on there that... They won't talk about it, and it'd be easily resolved by a little conversation, you know? Yeah. And meanwhile, Egwene continues to be interfering and full of arrogance and thinks that she can solve all the problems if she just explains Avienda's problem to the wise ones. She, she can totally get them to change their mind. Yeah, right? <sighs> I mean, come on, come on, Egwene. Avienda doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. She doesn't want to be involved. Like, every time you bring it up, she changes the subject. And yeah. literally nothing Egwene has ever done, ever, has would give her any confidence that anything she says could ever change the wise ones' minds. Like, that's literally mm-hmm. never happened. Right, yeah. And Avienda is like, no, 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 don't talk to them. They'll just punish us. Yeah. Which, of course, they will. That's what happens. That's exactly what happens every time. Yeah. Egwene's the worst. <laughs> Indeed. There's kind of a funny moment here where Sorlia, I guess corners Avienda a little bit. She's like, well, if you don't like this Rand guy, I, I have a friend that I can hook you up with. And Avienda's tune immediately changes. She's like, oh, uh, no, I gotta wash my hair. We got this blood <laughs> feud going on right now. You know, it's, it's not really a good time. But hey, I'll really think about that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it is funny. And it, Avienda seems to think that this woman can make her marry this guy if she's not careful. She's awful. These people's society sucks. <laughs> Yeah, I'm coming around to your side about how terrible the wise ones are. Yeah, they're they're bad. They just bully them. They don't even manipulate people. They just bully people. And they never try and do anything to actually help other people. They just act to get their own way at all times. Mm-hmm. I guess they, in their minds, they're setting people up for the betterment of their people. As 
is probably the way they view themselves is they're they're steering the course and yeah. saying okay well you have to go make idle babies so we can have more wise ones or something yeah i mean they could have said something in here like oh yeah well you, your clan has a blood feud with their clan but maybe it will be solved if you would go marry this guy and you know th this is our manipulation but even the Aes Sedai would often say to themselves, we have to manipulate events for the betterment, to, to preserve the light, you know, for all of history. Mm -hmm. But the wise ones, I don't know, do they ever say anything like that? Uh, sort of. I they, mean, they say we need to bind Rand to us to protect the Aiel. Yeah. But I can't think of any other time when they seem to be looking out for the greater good rather than just looking out for their own whims. Well, they, they, I would say that with Egwene and the other people who meet in a dream... They are, their argument is the reason that they are so restrictive on accessing the dream world is because it's dangerous and they're trying to protect those people. So maybe that's another example. They say, yeah, maybe. I, I still I, think it's mostly they just want to have control of it, though. Yeah, that's my read. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My read is their gatekeeping. Yeah. So, chapter 24 A Message Sent, the icon of the rising sun of Kyrian. So, Egwene camps with the Aiel. And while reading a book of romantic stories, <laughs> she falls asleep. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of funny, actually. I like this book of romantic stories. I think he's poking fun at romance novels. Probably, yeah. Which I believe he wrote a few. Oh, Did he? Did he? Yeah, under another name. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and it's cute, too, because this book, which is called The Flame, The Blade, and The Heart, <laughs> also has stories about Birgit and Gaidal Kane. Yeah, yeah. They're, so they're hero stories, but they always have a romantic element. Which is just like these books, yeah. right? It's funny because she's, she's saying, like, Avienda says she likes them for the battles. But I don't think that's why she likes to read these books. <laughs> uh -huh. But so she falls asleep. She gets to tell Aran Riyadh more uh, earlier than she expected. And she spies Elaine talking to Birgit. Mm -hmm. uh -oh. Well, also thinking about how if Nynaeve steps out of line again, she's going to send the rape monsters after her again. Yeah, there's but worse. Yeah. Uh, oh, this whole man. thing where she's like, oh... I hope Nynaeve is... She's just thinking about how she's enjoying manipulating Nynaeve, I guess. It's, yeah, it, it. the thing she did last time totally worked yeah. from her perspective. She's like, this is great. I should do this more often to more people. <laughs> Hooray! Yeah, Back was, at the circus, yeah, by the way. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, she, yeah this, that's right. This is circus drama. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and one of the other circus ladies came and clubbed Nynaeve over the head, to which Egwene says, is she okay? And Lane's like, oh yeah, we had to pull her off the other circus woman before <laughs> yeah, she hurt her too bad. Not, not only is Nynaeve someone you don't want to flirt with, she's also someone you don't want to club her the head because she will fuck you up. <laughs> yeah, right. as, as we've seen, Nynaeve solves most of her problems, not with magic, but by punching people in the face. Yeah, right. Which yeah, I believe she refers to her fists as the, the good solid two rivers. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to introduce you to the two rivers. Yeah, this is the, the Terendrell and the Minotherendrell. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> But she's got a headache because she got clubbed over the head right before she went to her berserker rage. <laughs> <laughs> we were able to pry her teeth apart to get them off the throat of the other person. <laughs> yeah, we were, we're lucky she forgot she could channel because she might have killed everybody. Yeah. After this, Elaine, Egwene, and the wise ones catch up on the latest news, uh, during which Egwene hints to Elaine that it's that the, she'd like to meet up separately. It's, uh... Because she's manipulative and lying to people. I mean, she does, but this to me, the secret message is like super obtuse. Like, like she's like, it sounds like she's just kind of being a dickwad, you know? Yeah, it's true. It she's fits like, with the way she's been acting. She's like, if I had my way, I'd be talking to you in the rooms where we were. And it's like, it sounds like she's just being a dick. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it worked. I guess it did, yeah. Maybe she's winking at her. <laughs> Wink. I mean, could you. Make words appear on your the front of your shirt or something with your ability to change your clothes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that yeah, that would be a great idea, but right? Presumably, the wise woman would see that. Uh, could you make tiny little words appear right before Elaine's eyes? Oh, I guess you could, right? So no one else could see it. It's teleprompter. You well, can do anything upside down inside her eyeballs. Yeah, I mean, she made a rape monster appear. She could probably do right <laughs> words in front of someone's eyeballs. Um, they mentioned something that I thought was interesting. So they're, they're talking briefly about some conversations they've been having with Karen, and they mentioned that she served in the Court of the Nine Moons. Yeah. Oh, I didn't catch that. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. like, How oh, Matt would be very interested to hear about this Court of the Nine Moons. I wonder who that could be. Where yeah. the Shanchen Empress sits. Uh -huh. Yeah. We didn't know that, right? We, had we so. heard that before? I don't know. It's the first that's jumped out at me. I believe that 
again and might have mentioned it. Her, her or that spy guy mm-hmm. in passing. So Matt's going to marry a, a Sean Chen woman. I like, don't know. A Sean Chen empress. Oh, I don't know. But it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely a name that's left out of me for the first time. That is yeah. bananas. Yeah. How about that? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, I'm <laughs> well, excited. Matt, well, Matt, what are you going to get into? Hmm. <laughs> going to get into the dot of the nine moons <laughs> that is some that is some good uh seed planting there though i know yeah is what the daughter of the nine moons is gonna yeah. say yeah <laughs> good seed planting <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> that's gold <laughs> chapter 25 dreams of galad icon of the terangriel ring so after this meeting Egwene zooms around through dream space which is kind of a new thing right like we we knew she could get to other people's dreams. We didn't know how she did it. Yeah, so apparently there's Teleran Riyadh, and then there's something in between where you're not in Teleran Riyadh, but you're in like a, a shadowy place between individual dreams or something? Yeah, where you can see all the dreams, like a constellation all around you. It's yeah. kind of cool. I it like yeah, it. it's really neat. I like the description of this. So she hangs out there for a while, and then heads to the tower in Teleran Riyadh into the rooms to meet with Elaine. Who apparently did actually pick up on that... Weird hidden message. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, they know each other pretty well now, right? I guess. I guess so, yeah. And uh, ask her about Birgit, but Elaine just completely stonewalls her. Yeah. Is, I think she that's made solid. a promise. Yeah, yeah. she made a yeah. promise. This Way seems totally legit to me. I mean, now that they're going seen Birgit, it makes a little bit less sense to hide it from her, but she did swear, so I think she'd probably want to talk to Birgit before she said anything. Mm-hmm. And they catch up on the all the secret stuff they're lying to the wise ones about. Now that they get all that stuff out of the way, they want to talk about boys, I guess. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't even mention that. Yeah. And they catch up on how Rand is being super arrogant and has to be taken down. And Elaine is like, fuck you. Like, he's a king. Yeah. You know, this is the way ruling works. Right. He's, he's like Messiah, King of Kings, Kara Karn. He yeah. has to rule. Yeah. Think- how, are, how are you not understanding? Like, he's, yeah, he's a king now. Like, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Elaine is 100% correct. I mean, like, he's... Well, I mean, we see things from Rand's perspective, so we understand kind of what's happening in his head, to be fair. But Egwene refuses to pick up on this. She's like, well, that might be true, but he sure is acting like a overweening pig in a pea field, or whatever she says. I don't know. Right, I guess, I guess pigs in pea fields are very arrogant. I guess. I've never, <laughs> I've never met a pig in a pea field, but I assume that's what that is. That means. they're super arrogant. Yeah. yeah, she's... I think Egwene is the one who's super arrogant, because she's... She doesn't seem to be able to respect other people. No, not everybody's always diminished in her eyes. Yeah, and she thinks that she has power over them. Like for I was complaining about before that she can just go explain to the wise ones that Avienda doesn't like this, and the wise ones will just agree and do whatever she says. Yeah, right. They don't care. Yeah, because Wayne knows best. Mm -hmm. She's also been doing a whole lot of spying and being really self righteous about it. You know, yeah, previously. And uh, Wayne, after this, goes to read Elida's mail. Which is a pretty good habit to be in. Yeah, actually. smart. Uh, there's nothing much new there, I think. There is something uh, that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, it was something that she reads uh, news out of Camelin. It's kind of like a side thing, but so she says essentially that they're getting conflicting reports out of Camelin because they have an agent planted there, right? Mm-hmm. Who we know is under Robin's control. Yeah, he, he, she got turned immediately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's two things. There's a, a a report from their Red Aja agent that Morghese is making public appearances, and then all these other reports from everyone else in Camelot that's like, she's been in seclusion for days. So it's just mm-hmm. interesting seeing that we're, this is, we know what's causing this, this weird mm-hmm. mixed yeah. message. There's more evidence that Elida is a really crappy Amarlin seat. Yep. Because she's, she's, her spy network is not working for her. Yeah. Well, and she sent that woman completely unprepared, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bad choice. And they have a conversation about how they should be careful. And Egwene says, yeah, I'm always careful. And then immediately goes and yeah, stumbles right. into a trap. Right, yes. <laughs> yeah, she... Oh, my gosh. The wise ones keep saying... Yeah, I'm not on the wise one's side. But they keep saying, this is dangerous. It's yeah. dangerous here. You don't know what you're doing. And, yeah, she almost gets caught in a dream of Galad. You know, Galad comes in and says, hey, sexy... And she's like, that's nice. Wait, no, that's not right. And she warps to Emmons Field when Gawain shows up and says, hey, sexy. Yeah, <laughs> look at our baby. Yeah. And she almost loses it. Like, she's she's almost caught up in the dream. Right, yeah, which I guess we, we will find out would have been really bad because she, she kind of freaks out a little bit about this and wakes herself up. 
and Mogedian comes out. These were Mogedian traps. Yeah. Yeah. So Which the, is a thing we didn't even know could happen, but it, it makes sense. You would think that Egwene would think that was strange because she knows that in Teleran Riyadh, people don't just appear out of nowhere and start influencing you. Not in Teleran yeah, Riyadh, What right? did she think was going on here? That's, a, that's did, what I'm wondering. I did don't she know. think this was her subconscious trying to get her dream laid? That's the impression so. that I drew is that she thinks it's coming from her, but... Because it's, it's extremely similar to when they had to go through the arch, right? It's the same idea where if you, you, you are presented with this other idea of reality, and if you stay there, you're forever. Yeah, there. you're, you you're trapped. Turn. You can't leave. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But uh, yeah, Mogadian comes out and says, Drat, she escaped my trap. I sh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, that's, that's fun, actually. I like this. Uh, she especially hates Elaine, Nynaeve, and Birgit. Uh, and she thinks about how she was just trying to trap Egwene just to be a dick because she saw her talking to Elaine. And she also doesn't like, I think she says something like, oh, I don't like having people wandering around the dream world. It's my place. Mm-hmm. Lanfear's already walking around too. And we get something very interesting. It says that, she says she hates Birgit, but Birgit had not even known who Mogedian was when, but she had somehow foiled Mogedian's plans to capture Luz Theron or to mm-hmm. entrap him or something. Yeah, which at is some other time when Bir- Birgit was out there being a hero. Yeah, but Birgit died before Mogedian got to her. Yeah, mm-hmm. and apparently her name was Tidra or Tedra, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So I guess, I mean, we know that these heroes appear periodically, but I, I was under the impression that Birgit was not that old. Or wasn't wasn't from the age of uh, of legends. I think they're from all times, right? Yeah, yeah, the heroes are right. But the age of legends is on most timelines the beginning of time, as far as we know it, right? I think it's implied that that Birgit, she lived in the age of legends and the age before that and the age before that, back forever and ever and ever. Oh, yeah, okay. that's what I understood. That she talks about how I remember so many lives, like more than I can ever count, and the. They fade as they get older and older and older, but there's, you know, countless of them. I wonder if she remembers this this time from the Age of Legends when she was Tetra. She knows Mogedian now, I think. Mm. And, and she might realize that this is why Mogedian hates her. Oh, it's possible, yeah. It's just, it makes me very nervous for Birgit that she is on Mogedian's radar in this way. Just because she's so much more vulnerable until we're in reality. Mm-hmm. She can't even channel. That's right. Chapter 26. Sally Daira, icon of the Wheel of Time. So uh, Team Swan is traveling, Min and Swan and Leanne and Loghain. And Loghain has gotten really, really depressed. Yeah, which is a thing that we knew happened with people who have been stilled or gentled. Or yeah, whatever. you know, I kind of thought he would get over it, you know? I kind of thought he would get over the depression and sort of move on with his life if he survived long enough. Well, he's going to, though, because Min is still seeing the halo around yeah, him. That's in right. fact, she's seeing it more than she had before. Yeah, the more yeah, they're heading to this place. But Leanne is trying to solve it by appealing to his penis, which ah, is not right. working. And Min mentions that, I guess, she's like studying Leanne to try and learn her sexy skills, I, I think. Is that what it, the impression? Yeah, yeah, apparently there's like 167 different ways to kiss a man and 84 different ways to touch his face with the back of your hand or something. <laughs> it's pretty funny. to me, but yeah. Whatever. There are only two ways to kiss somebody. With your tongue or without? Yeah. Oh, all right. Sure. <laughs> on the face or on the top of the head. Yeah, that's right. Uh, what? <laughs> well, I mean, depends how short they are. Yeah, you can't, if you can't reach their face, you just kiss them on the top of the head. That's right. That's what you do. Yeah. You bury their face in your chest and kiss the top of their head. I mean, you guys have never been in mixed height relationships? Come on. No, I only date very tall people. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I like the bit where Min says, my visions are always right. Even if Loghain was laying on the road, gasping his last breath, I would say, he's still destined for glory. Yeah, even though... He's so low that not even Leanne's sexy powers are going to wake him up. She says he's still got his magic destiny going. Leanne's pretty tall. I bet she kisses a lot of guys on the top of the head. I bet she has to. (laughs) (laughs) But they find the place. They find where all the Aes Sedai are in Saladar. This is kind of a funny little thing. This like stealth village that they've established. It's like these are all Aes Sedai and they're just trying to play it cool. I, I mean... I, like we're villagers, yes. Yeah. Look, we're making a village. Yeah, it's really cool. And they're all like warders, and like, and the warders have all hid their swords in like the thatch of the roofs and stuff. <laughs> There's one point when they walk in, and like, all of a sudden the warders like reach inside of like everyone's reaching like, inside, reaching of something. in a barrel, <laughs> <laughs> watching them. 
Yeah, I, I've come around to how funny it is that the secret word was Salidera, and the the place where they're living is Saladar. I just think it's, that's it's like stupid. the secret word was came Linny. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> Cammy Lynn. <laughs> I don't know who Cammy Lynn is. I don't know. I can't solve this mystery. <laughs> it's just a terrible, terrible way to hide it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I do like this. I like that they come right out of the woods and the woods aren't cleared away from the village. It's like a secret village where they're all hiding. Yeah, it's yeah, super cool. It is. And Min is like, wait a minute. There's too many women for how many men I see. And there aren't enough kids for how many women I see. <laughs> I, mean, I guess sense. it makes sense, yeah. yeah. And we get something interesting, too. Min has a vision of one of the uh, Aja who's there. Min sees an image of a raven floating beside her dark hair, more a drawing of the bird than the bird itself. She thought it was a tattoo. So that's right. interesting. Birds coming up again. Yeah. Uh, ravens right. are an emblem of the dark ones. I wonder if that's a bad thing. I don't know, but a tattoo? Yeah, ravens are also uh, they're a symbol of mat, right? Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So what could that mean? I don't know. It's intriguing. Maybe she's going to marry Matt. Or get a tattoo of Matt. Mm. Maybe she gets nine ravens on her butt. Oh, yeah. Daughter of the nine moons. (laughs) Oh, that's good. It's all all a smoke stream. (laughs) You have nine ravens on your butt. Wait a second. (laughs) Oh, if that's where this goes, man, that would be so great. I'd love it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I like how Min sees all the symbols around the Aes Sedai all the time because the Aes Sedai are always important. Yeah, mm-hmm. Aes Sedai and Warders are the only people I think she says that have always have stuff on them. Yeah. Um, which kind of indicates maybe that it her visions do have something to do with the One Power because they're people that are connected to the One Power. That's a good point, yeah. yeah. She, I, I think nobody knows exactly how it works. There's no one that they know of that's ever been like her. Yeah. Yeah. But the Aes Sedai that she meets don't recognize Swan and Leanne at all. So I guess their faces really have changed. Yeah, I was wondering about that. I know that they look much younger, but it, I mean, even when they reveal their identities, they're looking at them and they're not sure about it. Yeah, they, they make them prove it through this detailed interrogation of the pranks they pulled when they were novices. <laughs> yeah, and apparently Swan got into some shit as a kid. It's <laughs> right. kind of fun to hear about it. It is. I thought this was a fun scene. Yeah. I think it's a real Robert Jordan-y thing where these people, Swan and Leanne, who have been imposing authority figures are shown to have been just like everybody else, you know, doofy kids just like the main characters at one point. Mm-hmm. You know, circle of life, time is a wheel, something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so Min and Loghain are sidelined. Yeah. Because it's, uh, I guess, Swan and Leanne's chance to uh, get interrogated further. They definitely don't get the reception that they were hoping for. I don't know what they were hoping for at this point. I was, I was thinking about this. I, I'm on the fence about it. So, obviously, Swan and Leanne are no longer Aes Sedai because they don't have the channeling powers. But, like, is that the most important part of what they were at, in the White Tower? Because Swan wasn't channeling every day, right? She wasn't using her magic to do stuff. Sure, right? It, she wasn't the strongest Aes Sedai. That's not why she was in charge. Right, exactly. So, I'd say she's still pretty useful for all the reasons that she was useful when she was Amarlin. But Aes Sedai don't think that way. No, they don't. They look down on her. They see her as less than, and she's trying to, she's trying to sell herself as having all this knowledge. Because she doesn't think she has any worth. That's the only thing she has of worth. Is like, the secrets she kept as Armorlin. It's a very interesting point. And, and it's something that I have, not, I have not really thought about a lot. But if you consider that the Aes Sedai only take members that have this, this magic ability, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty interesting way to keep a gate, right? There are certainly smarter women. There are certainly more useful women out there. But they can never be in the club, right? No matter what. Because they don't have the the magic genetics, right? That's just what defined them. And so she's a lesser person now. But she's not. She's but, disabled to them or handicapped. Yeah, but, but she's... You're right. That's the way they perceive it. But objectively, that's not true. Because, again, the things that made Swan so useful and the things that made her Amarlin had nothing to do with power in the one power. Oh, yeah, I completely agree, yeah, so, but that's yeah. not how they think. So yeah. you can't be a soldier in the army if, you, if you're if missing a limb, right? Right. But you can be a general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was clearly high rank. Yeah. I, I mean, I hope that they will make good use of her. I think that they should, but it, it's just, it occurred to me in this scene 
that this is probably not the only time this has ever happened, right? Where there's someone out there who could be eminently useful or even be the best person for running the White Tower who's not a channeler. Well, this is not the first time we've run into this. It's kind of uh, chauvinistic. Yeah. The Aes Sedai are chauvinistic about being able to channel. Yeah. Because they see people who can't channel as being uh, well, lesser folk who exist to be manipulated, pretty much. Yeah, that's and, exactly how they view it, yeah. And part of that may be that they live so much longer, right? They live hundreds of years, so it just naturally leads them to think that way. It's but, possible. You know, if, if they're fighting a war, they need a general. If they're, if they're building a house, then they need to bring in masons or something. Why, why, does, it, why does it have to be somebody who channels leading them? I could see an organization where they have a political leader and then a leader of, you know, channeling operations that, that does, that has to be a channeler that actually does lead the channelers. I don't even think that that make, necessarily makes sense for anything except teaching channeling, right? Like, that's the only time when you need a channeling person is someone who's teaching other people to channel. The thing, though, one way to think about it, though, is Swan still has this knowledge, but she's so much more vulnerable now. She can't protect herself if something happens and well, you that's, know, that's a dangerous something. position to have a general in I suppose that's true though I mean if she's surrounded by a hundred I said I it doesn't matter right I mean maybe it's like she's been declawed yeah and even though she's still good at a lot of lion stuff the, the other lions don't see her as being able to take care of herself I, th it, I think that's probably part of it yeah it just struck me as odd and, and it kind of I guess it it laid bare a, an obvious gaping flaw in their structure that that didn't occur to me until this moment because surely there are lots of smart and useful people who the Aes Sedai could could make use of or could could even you know use in their in their fold who could I mean yeah the, the, a lot of Aes Sedai do things like running spy networks or being diplomats or being political advisors. Those are all things that you don't have to be able to channel for. Yeah. Something occurred to me though, warders obviously don't have the power, but they gain these associated powers when they become bonded to the Aes Sedai. Right. Could mm -hmm. they do that to Swan and Leanne? Because then they oh, would live yeah. longer and they would get some sort of connection to the one power, Every warder right? we've met so far has been a man. Yeah, but I don't know if that's just a tradition or that's not. A, that's a good question. To be a ward her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd be very curious to, to have a, char a character in the book explain to me whether it's possible for a woman to be a warder. But they might just say, of course not. That doesn't make any sense. You know, that's often the answer to these questions is, no, duh, that doesn't work. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, something occurred to me. The Aes Sedai always have symbols, right? And it's kind of like having a symbol near you is sort of like an indication that you are an important character to the narrative. It's sort of like Robert Jordan is telling us in as direct a way as possible, this person matters. So like what? Well, like all the main characters, right? The, yeah. the Taveran people, when she looks at the, all of the Nynaeve, Egwene, Elaine, Matt, Rand, and Perrin, she sees symbols around all of them, which means they're important to the narrative. Uh, and Moraine. And uh, people that she doesn't see symbols around tend to be people that are not named characters, that are not important, that we never meet again. NPCs. NPCs. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of like this is sort of the pattern's way of indicating that this person is important to the, the web of ages or the lace of ages or whatever the heck it's called. Mm -hmm. But Aes Sedai always have it. And I think that's because Aes Sedai are always important. Interesting. That makes sense. I mean, that they, they are... The way that they are designed to function, they are always pulling strings or in, interjected into politics. Yeah, or... I think you could, you could draw a correlation between whether and how many symbols and signs men sees around somebody and how detailed their characterization is given by Robert Jordan. Yeah, interesting. So the Aes Sedai here, I noticed it because Min is sort of doing a little catalog of all the Aes Sedai in the room when they're interrogating Swan and Leanne. And it's, you know, it's Mirel and it's, uh, what's her name? The mistress of, the novice of mistresses? Mistress of novice. Yeah, Sherium and um, Edicina is a yellow sister. And she kind of goes down the list and, and talks about their character, who they are, what they're like. Uh, and I thought that was an interesting thing, you know? Yeah, if he, if he bothers to name them, he also gives some factoids about what she sees. Yeah, so what she sees is kind of like the pattern tipping his hand. Yeah, or the author in that case. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I, I guess Robert Jordan is the pattern, right? Right. And, uh, yeah, yeah. 
there's a there's a whole bunch of, we meet a whole bunch of Aes Sedai and accepted and warders and whatnot here, but mostly Min is just told to cool her heels. I don't really know what her plan is at this point. Min? Yeah, Min. She, she has no plan. I think that I think that up to this point she was following them out of some sense of duty. Maybe she had nowhere else to go, but we well, know what she wants to do is go find Rand. She right? could do that. She could totally go bone Rand right yeah. now. She I don't know why she hasn't. Yeah, I think she's got some idea that she's going to help Swan uh, rally the tower behind Rand. I guess that makes sense. But I think they're finding out right now that's not going to be so easy. Yeah. But if, if Swan... I don't know how Swan's going to do that. I don't know how Min could even help. Well, I mean, Min's information is useful to whoever she shares it with, right? But it's not, right? It always happens? Well, it always happens, which is good. That means you know what's... You don't always know what it is, but it gives you hints or clues about what to look out for. And that's the way Swan's used it, right? Up until now. That's it for this episode. Next time, we're going to cover chapters... 27 through 32 of the Fires of Heaven. I am Jeff Lake. That's at Jeff underscore Lake on Twitter. I'm Alice Sullivan at Alice M. Sullivan. I'm Micah Sparkman. I don't have any of those things. <laughs> if you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please drop us a line at hello at thedragonrered.com. We would love to hear from you. And please share us with anybody you think will like us. Please give us good reviews wherever you got this. Please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Club. Please like us in real life. We're so likable. Until next time, the, the light, light illumine you. you.